0: My name is Jeremiah Cullen. I'm on the tech team here at King's Cross Church. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Uh, period dramas, uh, especially anything that's kind of old and British, we just like the costumes and the culture and the language. I just think it makes for good uh, TV and good movies. We're watching one the other day, and there was a young woman who's a member of a royal family who was um, potentially going to be married to a young man who's a member of another royal family in another country. And the way that she was getting to take a look at him was through this portrait that an artist had painted. And it occurred to me how crazy it was that her ability to see her future spouse depended on the accuracy of the artist, right? Might be close, Might be wildly distorted (laughs) or exaggerated, right? And then what I thought was, well, we've kind of come full circle to that because in our day, there's all kinds of filters and apps and artificial intelligence and all of these things that can take like any number of ways that a picture can be manipulated and tweaked and smoothed out and distorted to some different type of ideal that doesn't really represent the reality of the person in the picture. And so we have to be careful, not just when we look at pictures, but we know that as we consume news, when we watch viral videos, we have to be a little bit wary and perhaps wise enough to discern what is reality And what is a distortion of reality? And that's the issue that is the central problem the Apostle Paul is addressing in the book of Galatians, only it's not about pictures or portraits. He is addressing a distortion of the gospel itself. He opens his letter to the churches in the region of Galatia with a pretty standard greeting, and then he immediately says this, In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. And Paul had preached and planted churches in the region in about 47 or 48 AD. He is writing this letter to them about a year after he left to continue his missionary journey. And word has gotten back to him that there's this crisis in the churches. Verse 7 says that false teachers had come into the area or perhaps they had arisen from within the churches there and they're distorting the gospel. Some of the Galatians are attracted to that distorted teaching that they are they're swayed by these photoshopped pictures of the gospel and in paul's day the distortion was was related to how much of the law did new christians have to keep issues of circumcision and dietary laws and festivals and these types of things and my guess is that that not many of you are struggling with those specific questions. But the underlying issue in the book of Galatians is one that we absolutely still struggle with today. Because Paul says these false teachers distort the gospel. They're not preaching the gospel of Jupiter or Bacchus or Apollos. They're preaching Jesus with a twist jesus distorted in this case by the law that's what false gospels do it's the biblical truth in your notes if you like to follow along that way that false gospels distort the true gospel they distort the true gospel false gospels don't hold out a different god or a different religion or a different holy text they just take the one that you already believe in and photoshop it a bit it's the same basically just different right that's why false gospels are so attractive even why sometimes they're so very hard to detect because they don't require you to make the leap to believe in something entirely new they just need you to overlook the distortion to, to overlook the twist and typically that distortion will be found in one or more of three areas what will be distorted is what is the problem what's the solution to the problem or what's the promise that i can look forward to once the solution is implemented it's going to be one of those three areas what's the problem what's the solution what's the promise and if you distort any of those three you distort the gospel church has been fighting against this since the very beginning and there's a nearly infinite number of ways that you can distort the gospel but I want to focus in this morning on three that I think are the most pervasive for us for people in our church in our community in our city in our day three pervasive false gospels that I think are the most likely to leak into how you view and think about Jesus and the church in your own spiritual journey. So let's look at them together. The first one is a performance gospel. It's a performance gospel. Performance gospel shifts the focus from what Jesus has done to what you are doing. It looks around the world and it says the problem it's my behavior. That's the problem that needs to be addressed. What it is that I'm doing. It's my behavior. I'm just not good enough. I've messed things up so bad. I keep falling back into the same bad habits. I mean, I, you don't know my past. You don't understand. See, the problem is my behavior. The problem is me. Both Christians and non-Christians fall for this false gospel. If you're not a Christian yet and you've ever thought that what you needed to do was go away and get some of your life cleaned up before you come to God, that's performance gospel. What it says is that people like you aren't Christians. You need to change a little bit and then you can become a Christian. Like, what what makes you think God can forgive you? What you need to do is get your life in order, and then maybe, maybe, God can overlook some of those things in the past. That's a performance gospel. If you are a Christian, then in your head it sounds like, you know, you wouldn't do that if you were really a Christian. How often do you think God's supposed to forgive you for that? Oh, you just going to get up and go to church after last night? Really? In both cases, the problem is your behavior. And the good news, the solution in the performance gospel is quite simple. You just need to do better. Just do better. The problem is your behavior, so do better. Sin less, cuss less, lie less, give more, attend more, serve more, do better better so what happens is some sundays you come to church and you just feel god's presence because you know you had a good week like it was a good week right you 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 only yelled at the kids once stayed under 65 on clements ferry (laughs) you made it to community group you packed a box for operation christmas child you didn't bring the election up at all at thanksgiving just let it go. Like you kill- God is so happy with you. You're killing it. And so you feel close to God. But then there are some weeks. And you kick the cat. you act like you didn't see that other mom trying to merge into the pickup line, right? You only tip 10%. You decline that first impressions invite because you're not feeling real good. So you slink in 10 minutes late, kind of have your head down. You feel like a hypocrite the whole service because God must not be very happy with you. That's the performance gospel. What it's telling you is that you're standing before God is dependent on your behavior. And so it goes up and down all the time depending on how you're doing. And here's why that performance gospel is so dangerous to your soul. Because eventually... You will do better. Eventually you will. You're either going to start hitting the mark you set for yourself, so you stop dropping F-bombs, you limit yourself to two drinks a night, you only smoke when you're golfing, you attend church at least twice a month, whatever it is, and you're kind of fill in the blank. This is what it looks like to do better. And you're going to do it. By golly, you're crushing it. And you're going to think, I'm doing pretty good. Or, and I think this is more likely what happens, you're going to start comparing yourself to other people that you already think you do better than. right? Say, well, I'm not Hitler. And he's the bar, right? We all agree Hitler deserves hell. So somewhere between you and Hitler is where you draw the line. Fair? Fair. It's like, I'm not in prison. I'm not even on probation anymore. Do you know that... My neighbors, they don't even go to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm doing better than them. Volunteer my kids' school. I recycle. I don't post even half of what I think about people's Facebook posts. (laughs) Like, I'm a pretty good person. And you start to compare yourself. And once you do that, you find a nice, comfortable, achievable better that you can do and you grab a hold of the promise that the performance gospel holds out, which says, I'm probably okay. I'm probably okay. I'm doing better these days. What you'll do is you'll comfort yourself with ideas like, well, God's love, right? I mean, I guess I kind of hope he grades on a curve, I mean, it's kind of his job to forgive. He's better at his job than I am bad at mine. God knows my heart. He's the one that made me this way. He knows I'm trying, right? I'm probably okay. And that's the good news that the performance gospel holds out. The problem (laughs) is your behavior, so do better, and you'll probably be okay and it's a distortion of the true gospel which says yes you're a sinner but by grace through faith you can be assured of salvation true gospel says yes you are a sinner the gospel agrees that your behavior is the problem that it agrees that you do things that are outside the will of God, that have separated you from Him. Your sin is the problem. But the solution is not to do better so that you can self-help your way into being acceptable to God. The solution is that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus and what He has done on your behalf, you can be assured of salvation. No probably No, I hope. No, well, you know, I I just try not to think about it. Well, I guess I have some absolute rock-solid assurance of salvation. You see, I believe that Jesus lived and died in my place. I believe that he was raised from the dead. I agree that I'm a sinner, but my faith is in Jesus, not me. And by God's grace, through faith, I am an adopted son or daughter of the king, and I know I'm forgiven. Performance gospel says I can do it. True gospel says Jesus has done it. It's a distortion. Second, false gospel I think is pervasive in our time and culture is the prosperity gospel. It's a prosperity gospel. This distortion shifts the focus from who Jesus is to what Jesus gives. From who he is to what he gives. It looks at the world and it says, the problem is my experience. That's the issue. I'm too broke, too sick, too stressed. I'm not happy enough. I just want a little more influence, a little more power, a little more acknowledgement in my field. I just need to be married. I just need to have kids. I just need to be able to retire. I would really enjoy my life if this were different. It's just the problem, see, it's my experience in this life. And again, both Christians and non-Christians can find this attractive because by nature we're solutions oriented people and we live in a transactional world and so what happens is this very often sounds the same for both believers and non-believers so you know get yourself in church a little more often that wouldn't happen that's a problem that's a prosperity gospel you know the the path to blessing is believing you know, the Lord helps those who help themselves. You seem to declare victory over your life. That's a problem. You know, if you just sow a seed of faith, you'll reap a harvest of abundance. This prosperity gospel is not that hard if something in your life is off, whatever it is health, finances, relationships, emotions, you know, mental health, work, whatever it is. Don't worry, there's good news. Because the solution offered by the prosperity gospels, you just need to have more faith. That's the solution. Just have more faith. If you're not a Christian, you need to get some faith. Well, if you just come to faith, you wouldn't be struggling with these things. If you're already Christian, you should have a little more faith. Your faith must not be strong enough. You just don't believe enough. You just don't declare enough. You just don't claim enough. She's have a little bit more faith. See, the problem is, you're not living the life you want, and by implication, you're not living the life God wants for you, because you just don't believe in it enough. What happens is when your experience of life is less than the ideal that you imagine, you wonder if you did something wrong. You start to think, is God is god punishing me and so you listen to a little more christian music in the car you try to rush out and find a devotional plan on your bible app you you try to make sure you go to church a little bit more you start pushing buttons and pulling levers to try to activate your faith or to turn up the volume on your faith because if you can do that then surely god will reward you and so the false promise of the prosperity gospel that you're clinging to is if you can just have more faith, then you'll have a better life. More faith, better life. If you're not a Christian yet, one way you'll know you're being influenced by the prosperity gospel is if you think of something other than Jesus as the primary reason to explore faith. hear me clearly the main promise of faith is that you get god not his gifts You get him not his stuff and so if you are someone who has started to explore faith to get a better life like maybe you tried on your own and you still don't have The house, the job, the clear scan, the relationship, the family that you want, and you're hoping, well, maybe if I try this whole religion thing, then God can help me to get those things that I... That's prosperity gospel. It's God as a pathway to something else. That's prosperity gospel. It's God as the butler that you summon by ringing the bell of faith, and he's going to bring you the thing you really want. That's his role. If you are already a Christian, one way you'll be able to tell you're being influenced by the prosperity gospel is if you begin to judge Jesus and the church by what you get out of it. So you start to have this plus minus pro con tally sheet. And so maybe you stop serving on Sunday mornings because look, you've only got enough or you've only got so much time You're already giving them about an hour and a half. How can you give them half of the morning? That that is a cost-benefit analysis approach to God. And you're looking around and thinking, well, he's not prospering my time. I can't give it up to the church. Or maybe you increased your tithe for five or six months. The only change that you saw was you had less money. So God's not prospering your money. You better do it. You just redirect those back into the retirement account. That's a transactional approach to God. Or maybe your marriage was falling apart. Or your children were in rebellion and you thought, you know what we need to do? we got to get back into church. But then things didn't get better. And now you're angry and you're bitter and you feel like maybe this whole church thing was a lie because God didn't fix your problem. He didn't prosper your relationships. You see? It's a transactional nature to faith that's influenced by the prosperity gospel. The problem is your experience. The solution is have more faith and you'll get a better life. It's a distortion of the true gospel which says, yes, this life is less than all God intended, but God uses Our experiences in this life to bring us the fullness of joy now and eternally. True gospel says, yes, this life is less than God intended. You're right. Your experience is off. God agrees. If you're looking around your life and you're thinking, well, this ain't what I thought it was going to be. God agrees with you. That's why he sent Jesus to redeem you and reconcile you to himself. So the solution is not to have more faith so that you can put God in your debt and you can like force his hand like some game of divine poker where your faith calls him. The solution is that God's going to use our experiences in this life, good, bad, and mediocre, triumphant and traumatic, to draw us to himself, to make us more like Jesus, and to bring us fullness of joy now and eternally i don't think there's any better short expression of this idea than the apostle paul's self-assessment in philippians 4 he says in verses 12 and 13 i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound in any and every circumstance i've learned The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, I've had to learn in my journey with Jesus how to have a lot and how to have nothing. I can face anything life throws at me because I have Jesus. The prosperity gospel says, I can have it all true gospel says if i have christ then i already have everything i need and i can learn how to live with these other circumstances one more third pervasive false gospel in our culture is the political gospel political gospel this distortion shifts the focus from jesus as lord to jesus as lobbyist It looks around and it says the problem is our world isn't as it should be. The government is broken. The justice system is broken. Our culture, our values, our collective sense of who we are, it's just wrong. And there are all these external threats to our way of life that have to be dealt with. The problem is what our world has become or is becoming. And I know that there's a danger when I use the word political because you may think, oh, this is the one that applies to those people. But both Christians and non-Christians, conservatives and liberals, can drift to a place where their hope is in political solutions and political saviors. And if we can just get the right people elected. To the white house to the state house to the school board if we can just get the right judges appointed the right laws passed the right oversight panels in place if we don't do something our freedom our children our country our lifestyle our world is under threat and our hope is in a political solution and so we look around and we say it is absolutely unacceptable To live in a world where women have the freedom to choose or don't. Where children can access certain books or they can't. Where immigration is over or under regulated. Where marriage is strictly defined or loosely defined. Where economic and tax policy is allowed to be that. Where this is allowed to continue without challenge or change. Where those people get to determine the laws i have to live under and see that world is a functional hell from which we must be saved from which our children must be saved and there's good news the solution offered by the political gospel is that you just get involved just get involved you can change these things you just get involved with the right things in the right way. Understand. Real Christians vote like this. Real Christians educate their children like this. Real Christians think like, post like, act like, talk like this. And so there's a litmus test. Show me how, where, and to what degree you're involved, and I'll tell you whether or not you really understand Jesus in faith. Now, Here's how you'll know if you're influenced by this. You're irritated at me right now. (laughs) Because you think I'm talking about your side. Even though not one word I've said calls out one political side or the other. Because I've used both sides in every example. But in your head, you're arguing with me right now. Because you think, now, if he doesn't think that political issue is a gospel issue, then he must be one of them. And look, politics are important. Public policy is important. The government, local, state, and national has massive implications on our lives. Christians, hear me clearly, are not called to disengage from that political world. Quite the opposite, actually. We need more Christians involved, but hear me we cross over from wise, prayerful, considered, passionate engagement in our world to believing a false gospel if we grab a hold of the promise of the good news of the political gospel which says that with the right changes made, the right leaders in place, the right laws and regulations, we can have heaven on earth. That's the danger. Don't hear me calling for disengagement. I'm not. But there's a danger if you think you can usher in heaven on earth through political change. So if you think about the world you'd like to live in, And you can imagine it without Jesus? That's a false gospel. Let's just assume for just a moment, and just be honest with yourself, if you could implement all the changes you'd like to see in the world, governmental, educational, economic, local, national, international, legal, cultural, relational, if you could instantly have all of that in place and to you that would just be heaven on earth would you still need jesus if not then you're influenced by a political gospel that says you can have a perfect world without the perfect savior and the opposite's true so you can think about it from the other direction let's assume none of the change you want to see ever comes to be So everything that you think is wrong now keeps getting worse. And all of the systematic problems you see keep getting more entrenched. And gender, racial, sexual, socioeconomic issues, they continue to get farther and farther and farther away from what you think they should be. If none of the changes that you long for ever happen, and that seems to you like hell on earth, Would you see any point in Jesus? Or would you decide that he hadn't really been as useful as you thought, and you'd walk away? That's a political gospel. Well, if Jesus isn't going to make the world this, what's the point? That whole thing must just be a lie. And it's a distortion of the true gospel, which says, yes, we live in a broken world. But Christians should actively work in it until King Jesus returns. So, true gospel says, yes, we live in a broken world, nothing. Is the way that God intended it to be. Governments are corrupt. Justice is perverted. Marriage is dishonored. Families are estranged. The marginalized are disenfranchised. Sin is glorified, even rewarded in many cases. The rich subjugate the poor. Might makes right. God agrees with you that the world is broken. But the solution is not found in an elected official or a political philosophy or any other worldly silver bullet that will instantly make things utopian. The solution is that Christians should actively work in the broken world taking the gospel and its implications into the broken, sin-sick, ungodly places we live, learn, work, and play every day. And I would say, yes, that includes the ballot box, but we move way beyond that because it also includes every sphere of influence that God has given you. And so Christians should work diligently and intentionally as people who's thoughts, lives, passions, philosophies, positions are shaped by the gospel until King Jesus returns. And when he does, he ushers in the fullness of God's kingdom and the promises of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 9 and Philippians 2 and Revelation 19 and 21 and others these are going to become reality god is going to set king jesus on his holy hill in zion and the government will be on his shoulders and the nations will become his inheritance and he will break them with a rod of iron and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is lord and he will be revealed as king of kings and lord of lords And friends, whether you're conservative, liberal, or somewhere in between, maybe you're completely detached and you can't stand any of it, that day is coming. And in that day, when that king returns, that's when and where and in whom our hope for a better future lies. See, the political gospel says, I can change it. The true gospel says Jesus is changing it. Those are just three. We could pull out a whiteboard. If we just went around the room, we, we could list dozens of false gospels. Not false gods or false religions. False gospels that distort the true gospel. They take an element of the truth and twist it. They magnify it. They diminish it. They take what you believe and they Photoshop it. So are there clear commands of how Christians should live? Of course. Yes. But we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. Do we believe that Jesus came that we might have life to the full? Yes. He said that. But He gives us the desires of our heart because we delight ourselves in Him. Should Christians work, pray, and long to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Yes! Yes! But our assurance and our hope come from King Jesus and His kingdom. So Paul reminds the Galatians in us, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Guard your heart, King's Cross. Guard your mind, lest you turn to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. father we constantly need to remind ourselves of the gospel we need to preach it to ourselves every week every day often multiple times a day because we're prone to be drawn to the aspects of it we like the most and to drift from the aspects of it that maybe we don't understand quite as much or we struggle to believe quite as much or or, or we've grown weary of waiting on would you help us Would you help us to cling to the gospel, to be wise enough to hear false teachers and false gospels and distortions of your truth? Would you help us to remind one another of that? We want to be people who live according to your law, but we recognize we've not been saved by it, but by your son's death and resurrection and our faith in him that comes to us through your grace. We believe you want the best possible experience for us in this life. We want that, but we know that in this world there'll be trouble. We look forward to the day where it's behind us forever. Father, we want to see the kingdoms of this world conform to the image of your kingdom And we pray that those that you put into power will be led by your spirit, but we recognize that that's not always true. So we long for the day when your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. We can rejoice as our king is on his throne and all things are made new again. Between this day and that, would you help us to cling to the gospel? In Christ's name, amen. You please stand? My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.